Good morning. Welcome to Good Shepherd again. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, and a lot of you are gathered live, and others of you are live stream, and however you're connecting with us. I love being able to engage back with you. And this is the fourth Sunday in this series, Dealing with Difficult People. It's actually a seven-week series, which is very unusual for us to have a series go that long, but it must be because we got a lot of difficult people that we got to figure out how to deal with. And in this fourth Sunday of the series, the message is called, When It Doesn't Depend on You. And like all of the messages in this series up to this point, we're changing a little bit next week for a different Bible passage. But we, this message comes from the New Testament letter to the church at Rome, which is often called the Book of Romans. That's actually the letter to the Roman church. And so if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and following. Maybe your Bible looks like mine, or maybe it's loaded on your phone, and uh, however you have, and maybe you don't have it at all, which is okay. And uh, in, in that case, the words will be up on the screen at the right time in the message, kind of like they always are on a Sunday. And uh, you, you may not know what we think about the Bible at this church. You may be quite new at this place. So we just want you to know how we view the Bible. We don't worship it, but we love it. And the reason we love it is because loving the Bible helps us to adore the Savior, and we do worship Him. And so out of that conviction that loving the Bible helps us adore Jesus, who we do worship in this place, you may not worship him yet, and that's okay. We're so glad you're here. We just, we want you to be able to understand what makes us tick. But out of that conviction about this scripture and scripture savior, we have a custom, and that's when we talk about the Bible in this place, we lift it up. And, and again, you, you may be new and think this is kind of unusual, all these Bibles and phones in the air, and, and we answer you by saying, yeah, it is, it is, it's unusual. But we discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we are a collection of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. And out of that conviction, we're glad to surrender to his authority. Amen? And so before I say any more words, let's pray. So Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a good God, and thank you for the authority that we can sit under, and, and thank you for the goodness of the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write to the church in Rome and Lord, I pray the same Holy Spirit would fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with everything that's good and right and joyful about walking with Jesus and do that same thing in the lives of those within the sound of my voice. In your name we pray, amen. Well, last week in dealing with difficult people. If, if you were with us, and if you weren't with us, I am so glad you're here today. But, but last week, we gave peace a chance in dealing with difficult people, and we drilled down into, into one verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Take a look. It's going to be up on the screen, or take a look in your Bible. It says this, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, and then Paul said, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. 
And so we really explored that and we realized together that the only way to live at peace with everyone is when you are so overwhelmed with God's grace that you won't be overcome by your pain. That, that's the only way. And it, and it was good. And it was fine. A lot of you came back, apparently. It, it was good. It was fine. It was biblical. But do you know what? Do you know what we skipped over? In giving peace a chance, do you know what we skimmed right over? We skimmed over the best part of the verse, which is why we've come back together today. And for the best part of the verse, look at verse 18 again, where it says this, if it is possible. So Paul, pastor, missionary, author, writing to the church at Rome, he knows it's a church full of difficult people and they live in a city called, yes, they live in a city called Rome filled with difficult people. And so he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. You know what that means? You know why he gives those exceptions? Because hello, there's gonna be a lot of times in dealing with difficult people that repairing the relationship, having a healthy relationship is not possible because it does not depend on you. Paul says, hey, if it's possible, as long as it depends on you, and obviously he's letting us know sort of by intuition, but I realize there are times when it ain't possible because it does not depend on you, and you know this. You've lived this. You, You have had relationships with the difficult people in your life, and you wanted peace, and they declared war. You wanted some sort of freedom and they tied the chains that much tighter. You wanted an authentic relationship and all they wanted was someone else to use. Yeah, there there are times when in terms of healthy relationships, it's not possible because it doesn't depend on you. And there are many times when you realize this is what is going on, but hear me now, There are other times, there are a lot of times when that's exactly what what is going on and you don't realize it at the time. In fact, you don't recognize it until many years later when you're looking through the rear view mirror of your life and you're able to say, ah, that's what was going on. That relationship never worked out because it didn't really depend on me. Makes me think of the woman. And the guy in her life, he's just, just a little bit rough. And has only turned violent and physical a couple of times. And in this master move of manipulation, he's been able to make her convinced that she egged him on to it. It's really her fault that he got aggressive. Maybe the mom that some of you grew up with who convinced you that the leather she used and the welts it raised was because you were just so bad. And then for others, and then for others, it moves into that other kind of realm of discomfort and dysfunction where what's really been going on is the, that kind of verbal abuse, 
that has been poured into you that is, in fact, the tapes that keep running over and over in your mind. I'm talking about abuse. I, it's for some of you, my gosh, for some of you, is that older cousin or that friendly coach or that encouraging teacher? And they took liberties with you and stole innocence from you. And again, in another masterfully manipulative move, we're able to convince you afterwards that you're the one who lured them into it, that you're the one who tempted them into it. And again, have been able to make you feel like as if the future of the relationship depends on you. Yeah, I'm talking about abuse that you endure and some of it is physical and, and some of it is emotional and some of it is even sexual. And there are so many times when, yeah, we, those of us, those who have suffered at the hands of the abuse, we are made to think that the future of the relationship actually depends on us. Makes me think of the woman whose husband was a chronic adulterer, which is kind of a mixture of emotional and sexual abuse. And finally she had enough and served him with papers and he's reading the papers and sort of wailing and says, well, what have you done? And thank God she knew enough of Romans 12, 18 to be able to say, it's not what I've done, it's what you've been doing. I'm just making your choices official. In cases of abuse, when the abused person gets out of the relationship, that doesn't end it because the abuse already did. And then there's more. As far as it is possible, as much as it depends on you and you realize, ah, it's not possible, but it does because it does not depend on me. You know what was so liberating for me to realize in, in, in one of these unhealthy, broken relationships? It was so healthy for me to realize I am not responsible for someone else's happiness. That when I finally was able to realize, ah, nothing I can do is going to make this person happy because they will not be happy unless they're unhappy. And they won't really be content unless they're taking their misery and spreading it to everyone around them. You have people like this. You have people at work who are able to convince you, oh, if you just give me one more promotion, if you just change my job description one more time, then I'll be happy. You have children in your family who've been able to make you think, ah, just one more purchase and finally I'll be content when they've already demonstrated they couldn't handle the other three purchases you made for them. And others of you with in-laws who've been able to make you believe that if you just adjust your behavior just a little bit, if you alter your dress a little bit, if you affirm the way they do things one more time, then at long last, they will accept you as a member of the family. You've been manipulated, played like an instrument. And for some of you, you realize right now, ah, Today's a great day to stop trying to make someone happy who is determined to be unhappy and make everyone else as miserable as they are. Before we move on, I got to ask you a question. Is, is that you? Are you one of those people who has been able to convince other folks that your happiness is their responsibility? And that if they let you down in making 
If they let you down and making you happy, then that's the end of the relationship? Is that you? And then maybe another way that, that I have realized that, that some relationships are over because it didn't depend on me to begin with is, I don't know if you've ever had this, some people put you to tests that you didn't know you were taking. They put you to test in terms of your politics or your faith or your manners or get this because it's very new and very real. The speed with which you respond to a text message. And if you fail that test in any way, woo, you are toast. And when I was able to realize that, ah, I'm just being put to a test that I know I'm going to fail. And when you realize that going in, it is so freeing. And again, before we move on from that, I got to ask you, are you a test giver? Do, do you float trial balloons in people's life? And if their answer, if their answer disappoints you even a little bit, whoo. You are done with that relationship if they don't get back to your message, your, your direct message, your text message. If they don't get back quickly enough, you launch into them. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, and I hope that you are now seeing that there are so many ways in dealing with all the difficult people in our lives that it is not really possible because it does not depend on us. And you are fair to ask, so what do we do? With these kind of relationships characterizing my life, and you're, I've been seeing lights go on all in minds at 9 o'clock and at 10.30. And, and you can think of all the relationships where this is applicable. And so you're fair to ask, well, what do you do? How, how do I deal with this relationship that is broken, frayed, wounding, but it's not really up to me? What, what, what do you do? And, and, and since Paul writing to the church in Rome, since he's the one who got us into this mess to begin with, does it not make sense to, for him to get us out of it as well? Because look where he goes in verse 19. After telling us in verse 18, hey, people, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, and where does he go right after that in verse 19? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay gulp and, it, and at one level that just seems so harsh God talking about vengeance and, and wrath and claiming it as his own and then on the other hand we recognize it's absolute genius because Paul was the one who was inspired by God to write this letter not you and not me Paul was the one who was inspired and he's such a genius because he knows that when you get to that place where you've been manipulated where you've been abused where you've been put to test that you didn't even know you're taking and then you realize what was going on what do you want to do <laughs> what do I want to do I want to get back at them I want to get even with them it's a very natural response when you realize you have been wronged by someone who should have loved you the most. It is a very natural reaction to want to get even with them, to get 
back at them. And on the one level, good shepherd, your desire, it, 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 it's really natural to, we want to be the agent in the karma that we've decided other people should feel. Isn't it funny how we use that, the, 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 well, we, well, I want them to get their, their karma. I hope they get karma. Nobody, nobody ever says it about themselves. You notice that? We never, well, I hope I get the karma I deserve. Nobody ever says that. We only say it about other people. And just so you know, oh, by the way, in, in the Christian faith, we believe that grace is so much better than karma anyway. That in karma, you get precisely what you deserve and there's no way to escape it. And in grace through Jesus, you get better than you deserve and you embrace it by faith. So yeah, that's what, that's what we, but you may not believe that. We just want you to know what we believe here. But it, but it is this desire that a lot of us who've been wronged, we want to be the agent of karma in someone's life. And I want you to know this, Good Shepherd, that at one level, this is good if you want to see wrongs held accountable, if you want to see wickedness punished, if you want wrongs to be made right, that's good. And the reason that's good is because that is a reflection of the fact that you are made in the image of God. So if you've been manipulated, if you've been abused, if you've been put to test that you didn't know were taking, and at some level you want that person to get what's coming to them, that's good and right and normal. What's wrong and abnormal is taking on for yourself what is already God's business. Because what is it that, that, that Romans 12, 19 has said? Do not take revenge, my dear, dear friends, but leave room for whose wrath? God's wrath. For it is written, it is whose? Mine. See, us taking revenge into our own hands is the ultimate in stealing from someone else and adopting it as our own. It, it's the ultimate actually in operating outside your lane. I mean, we, we don't like this, do we, in, in life when, when people act like they're experts in things about which they actually know absolutely nothing. When they go on Twitter and you'll see it everywhere. And when, when, when people operate outside their lane, like if you're going for surgery and there you are on the operating table and the surgeon comes in and he says, well, actually I'm a poet. I've never been to med school, but I can tell you all about Chaucer and Shakespeare. You wouldn't feel good about that. They're, they're in the wrong lane. Or if you'd be like, get in your lane, will you? Or if, you're, if, if something's broken in your house, or you need something built in your house, and it's a really urgent need to fix that thing that's broken or build that thing that needs building, and this guy shows up at your door all eager, <laughs> you, 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 you should be... You, you should be like, stay in your lane, buddy. <laughs> Sometimes you can preach sermons, but there's no way you know how to use a hammer. Stay in your lane. And that's exactly the way it is with us and revenge. 
when we take what belongs to God, we are operating way out of our lane, putting ourselves in his lane, and disaster is the result. And so all of that leads me to this thing that I want to tell you on week four of dealing with difficult people when it doesn't depend on you. And here it is. When you lay down the burden of vengeance, God picks it up as his own. When you recognize you've been wrong, yeah, I was, I was abused, I was manipulated. I've been put to test I didn't know I was taking. Fill in the blank for all the ways you've been wrong. And you have the maturity and you have the faith and you have the understanding. I'm gonna lay down that burden of vengeance because it's not mine to begin with. And God will pick it up as his own. Wanting people held accountable for the wrongs they've done is normal and healthy. Seizing it as your job to carry out, that is when disaster happens. And so the whole idea of this message is to make sure that you stay in your lane and you give to God what is in his lane and you live into the peace and you live into the wisdom of when you lay down the burden of vengeance, God will pick it up as his own. And I think God does that. And I think God tells us this because God knows what happens to you and what happens to me when we're overcome with this desire to get even. God knows what it does to us. Some of you may have heard about what the, the Inuit people, the Arctic peoples, how they deal with wolves. And when they, they have a, a kind of an, an attack of the wolves, and they know they need to deal with the wolves in, in their area. And hello, it's the northern frozen tundra. Of course, there are wolves all over the place. And, and so what they do is they get a sharp knife and they lather it up with blood and they put the handle the knife in the snow, pack it in, and the blade, bloody blade sticking up. Well, wolves, because they're like, I don't know, wolves, they are attracted to the blade. And they go to the blade and they start to lick the blood on the blade because that's how they're wired. They can't help it. Ravenously, furiously, in a frenzy, licking the blade. What they do not realize is because it's a blade and not a bone, that blade is also slicing their tongue all up at the same time. And so in this frenzy, the wolf's blood bleeds out and the wolf dies of its own desire for blood. Gross, but effective. And, and God says, that's what happens to you when you take revenge into your own hands. You think you're getting even. You think you're having the last word. You're actually just killing yourself. And speaking of sharp objects, you may have wondered what I have under here. This is a buried hatchet. You know, like we say, when we decide we're, we're, we're not going to get even with people, we're going to deal with that grudge, I buried the hatchet. But notice how skillfully I buried this hatchet with the handle out so that whenever I want to pull it back out, yeah, that's what we do. We may bury the hatchet for a little bit, but we make sure that we can get it back out whenever we want it. And it's always to our negative consequence. When you lay the burden down, maybe when you bury the hatchet all the way, 
When you lay the burden of vengeance down, God picks it up as his own. Even that, even that phrase, taking revenge, you heard that? I'm going to take revenge. You don't take revenge. You steal it because it was never yours to begin with. And you steal the vengeance, the punishment, the discipline, the whatever that belongs to God. Now, when I say, when, when you lay down the burden of vengeance, God picks it up as his own, do not hear what I am not saying. I, I do believe that God does authorize human authorities to carry out punishment and discipline for wickedness done on earth. So if you were abused, the abuser needs his consequences. If you're the victim of crime, the criminal needs his consequences. And as, as conflicted and, and troubling even as our judicial system is, I am not saying we avoid that and we let people get away with all kinds of stuff that they shouldn't get away with. And in fact, I have to believe, especially in some of those things that have stolen the innocence from you in the most painful of ways, that whatever the system gives to that perpetrator is just a hint, just a hint of what God will carry out on the other side of the grave for a long, long time. I guess my real desire is that you would respect your lane. And that you would understand, you, you would know, you, you'd have the maturity and the awareness to know, yeah, this relationship is over. It did not depend on me. Their manipulation, their abuse, their test gate giving took it out of my hands. And then you let whatever repercussions there are to follow you put them in God's hands. And the good news in that, the, the good news in, in giving that which you want so badly for yourself the good news in giving that to God, he has never made a wrong decision. Not once. And I'm so encouraged, I guess, that in this small slice of scripture that we've been looking at, where, where Paul has been telling the, the Roman church about the the wrath of God and, and, and letting God have the last word because when you try to have the last word, you bungle it all up. But I'm so encouraged that in addition to helping us recognize when relationships are done, Paul gives us one other word. And it's there in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Live at peace. See, vengeance belongs to God. And we do well to leave it with him. But on the other hand, peace comes from God. And we do well to ask it from him. And so I just want you to realize today that vengeance and revenge isn't your possession. I don't want you to spend your life accumulating possessions. I don't want you to count up your possessions. I want you to be his possession and when you are his possess possession, when you're the possessed one, turn to your neighbor and said, you're possessed, buddy. When, when, when you're the possessed one, meaning the Lord bought you, the Lord holds you, the Lord keeps you, 
The Lord speaks the last words that you want, but give to him. Then he gives you the gift of peace that passes understanding. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to point your palms God's direction. And you may not be a praying person, and that's okay. Or praying may be very comfortable for you. But I want to invite you to close your eyes as well as your palms are pointed God's way. And I want to pray that in these moments, even as you've had painful memories stirred up, that you would lay a burden for vengeance down and that God would send his peace maybe even for the very first time in your life. God would send his peace into your palms in a way that radiates up your arms and settles deep in your soul. So Lord Jesus, you will in fact have every last word. Thank you for that. Thank you that you've never made a wrong decision. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would pour peace out into every open palm and every open heart. And that people within the sound of my voice would know for the first time, in spite of the pain, and challenge and trauma. They are loved. Thank you, Jesus. You are a good, good father. In your name we pray. Amen.